0: Do a sound check there. Right, how's it doing?
1: The airplane. Good. Airplane's going across. Yeah.
0: Hopefully it's not going to bomb us. It's a good cut. Totally get cut. Totally part, get cut. This, there's no way this would show up in them. It was pranked. Totally pranked by an airplane. Yep. Won't be in it. Anyway.
1: Welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 Development where Richard and I talk to the experts from all over the globe, coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 Development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office 365 Dev. So, Office 365 Dev Show, episode 68. Yeah. We are in another country this week. That's right. We are in London, my hometown yeah. at the Angular conference here. how When did you get in? I got in over the weekend. This is a pretty big conference center. It's, it's funny. huge.
0: So the Angular Connect show is, what, about 1,100, 1,200, something 1, like that? 1,100 people, yeah. And then the, the conference center, it almost feels like Ignite in Chicago. I think Chicago. they're running like
1: four conferences in this building. And there's know, some it. big, I saw booths that were two stories. <laughs> I'm go check go, that out. Go back to the FP web days of the SharePoint conference, right? That's right, yeah. Little private drinks area.
0: Yeah, so uh, cool to be here and be with some of the open source developers. And
1: yeah, I love the energy with these guys. It was great in Salt Lake City at Ng Comp uh, last time around at this Angular event, and um, it's just it's nice to get outside a Microsoft conference and see how other communities kind of get together and uh, they interact in a different way to how Microsoft guys do. I think, to be quite honest. Yep. Although I did hunt down, there is an MVP and an MVP jacket here. And he hasn't been mobbed yet, which is pretty impressive. He's an Azure MVP, and he came over. He wanted his Yo! Office shirt. But, um, yeah, a lot of Googlers, a lot of Googlers
0: here. Very good, yeah. And, and uh, we wrapped up the Dev Intersection show last week in Amsterdam and had some good participation there.
1: Yeah, no, it was great. I'm hoping we've got a hackathon tonight here in London, so I'm hoping that we'll next pod show will be report that we had an overwhelming success here. The, um, the hackathon in DevIn sections, we had two teams submit. I think we had like five or six teams actually attend in person. And um, it was really impressive to see what people actually built in you a know, really short time frame as well. What was your favorite out of the two that submitted? You know, I thought they were both pretty
0: interesting. Um, I think for someone that writes a lot of like blog posts and things associated with maybe some code that I wrote, yeah. um, I thought that the, the group of students... What they did was pretty cool. So uh, they basically built a, a a word add-in, a task pane in Word that allowed them to go look up code that they might have in a GitHub repo. So they could go look through all their re- basically would we'll look at all their repos. I uh, could go select a specific code file, and then I think what they were doing was pulling the entire thing in 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 kind of the keeping format. So it would be formatted inside the Word document. So it was kind of a way for them to build documentation. I never saw. I didn't get to see if you could actually just select part, like if I could no, select blocks.
1: They, so I sent them the Wikipedia add-in code sample, which actually does that. So you can search in Wikipedia and click and drag over a block of of text, and yeah. inject it. They didn't quite get that far in the in the hackathon.
0: It sounds like they're going to probably do some more of oh, it, though. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, Scott Hansen couldn't believe that what they got done in that short time frame, and what he was saying is, from a book perspective, it was epic. Yeah. Because if I'm writing a book and I'm building like code that is going to be reference in the book in snippets i can just have it reference the github repo file and then if i update it it'll refresh the content in the word document without me having to go copy and paste crazy i remember when i wrote my thesis and obviously this was a long time ago now but we had to put our entire code in the word document that we submitted as part of our thesis in an appendix this would have been awesome for that yeah could have just like boom done well, to me, it's the formatting Last-minute, last like, scrambling for a submit it kind of thing.
0: I always find it just, it, when you try to, like, copy and paste code into yeah. anything, it it always does weird things. You lose some sort of formatting or things get double-spaced, like the spacing between lines gets weird. Yeah. And and so, uh, you know, what what they had done, at least, they're probably going against the raw file in GitHub. They I know. are, yeah. yeah. So that probably made it a little bit easier, but it certainly, um, you know, it looked nice, and they were going to do the whole, like, if... If code updates when they reopen the document, it can automatically prompt like them to refresh. because yeah.
1: they were using it wasn't bookmarks. They were using content controls That's to right. inject it in. Right. That's right. So they could add like smart bits of information inside that content control that would like point back to wherever it was in GitHub. And yeah. then they just iterate through the content controls in the Word doc. That's right. Yep. Yeah, it was pretty cool. None of them had ever written a Word an Office add-in. They mostly actually one of the guys. I think he was like seventeen. He was the one of the youngest. Uh, C, uh, sorry, ASP.NET MVPs in the in the world, and so they all have Visual Studio on their machine, and um, you know they had the tools installed, so they you know they were pretty comfortable straight off the bat since we'd give them a quick okay. primer on you know what yeah, Office JS is and what the Office Client is. So yep. that was pretty cool. So I'm looking forward to see what Angular guys do tonight with all their JavaScript ninja skills, because really it's just a manifest file and an iframe in an Office Client running in a browser or. It's pretty exciting to see what these guys do with this stuff. Yeah, see how creative they can get with OfficeJS and push it to its limits. Yeah, I'm yeah. excited. So, um, so that was that. And then I guess we can cut on this theme of events. So I've done SharePoint Saturday the Munich keynote two Saturdays ago, Unity Day. Connect, yeah. Dev Intersections and now Angular Connect, all in less than 10 days. you ready to get home? I am so ready to get home. <laughs> it's um, if someone, actually no one's told me I look like crap yet, which is good. I've been waking up at weird times in the morning. Like this morning, I was like bright, right up and early, like four in the morning. I'm sure you've been the same as well, right? A
0: little bit, yeah. I've, I adjusted pretty good, but uh, yeah.
1: that's my normal time, so. But um, I get two weeks at home, and then I'm flying to Stockholm for um, the European SharePoint conference. But we're having a bit more representation out there and Jeff Tieper's coming out there and Bill Baer and Mark Cashman and Aaron Rimmer's gonna be out there from kind of marketing team. So there'll be a little bit bigger motley crew than just me and you turning up at these events.
0: Yeah. And we, we have the, I'll throw this out there too. We've, we've mentioned this on the podcast a few times is we do have the um, Microsoft Cloud Road Shows that are kicking off here in just yeah. about a week and a half. So the November 2nd is the inaugural event. It's going to be in, in Dallas, Texas. Two days later, we'll be in New York. The week after that, we're, we're in Toronto. And so, you know, we have a, a pretty big lineup and uh, definitely try to check some of those out. I'm going to be at Toronto. and yeah, um, Are you at New York or are you going to be back here in Redmond? I'm going to be in Redmond. so But I, I'll be at Dallas a little bit. Uh, that's home for me. So I'm going to be there for a little bit until I need to fly out. Yeah.
1: Then... I just remember as well, I got Saturdays, um, SharePoint Saturday, Redmond as well when I get back. Oh, wow. So I promised to have the weekend free um, so me and my girlfriend can have some time together and i have to drop the some ball I need to escape to do a presentation map work she on can be, Saturday. She can be your handler at she, the conference. She could be. She could be my, you know, the cheerleader. When
0: you know when you go to these conferences and you see some of the big
1: wigs, they always have yeah, their yeah. handlers with them? Yeah. That like, you know, make sure. She, she that, should kick people's ass for sure <laughs> pushing people out of the way. So yeah, that'll be like five conferences in, in two weeks. Uh, yeah, I'm ready for a non-office day at this stage because I haven't had a, Day off, yet? You're going to take some time off in December? Yeah, the whole of December. (laughs) Nice, nice. (laughs) That's what you're planning on doing, isn't it? I have a few things at the beginning, but after that, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'd be quite happy just to be turned off the internet by that point. That's right. And then this morning, which was probably the biggest amount of news out of all these events, to be quite honest, was um, in the Google keynote here at the Angular Connect event. We actually had them demonstrate the um, Office add-ins with the Yeoman generator in. It was Outlook Online in Office 365. And um, what was really neat with that was is barely anyone knew about the generator in this community, but they were really amazed about the fact that you could be so kind of built into the user interface of Outlook. And um, it was great. We had a a content publishing team, Joe Mattella. uh, His sample was actually demonstrated on stage. You had another cool one, which we're going to talk about as part of the core part of this show as well, um, which I thought was a nice kind of add-on there. And we can talk about that journey on that aspect. But um, we had like... Dev.office.com water bottles in everyone's bags and Yo! Office T-shirts and it's been pretty cool watching people walk around with the Yo! Office T-shirts as well. So kind of like guerrilla marketing at a Google event, but um, you know, at the end of the day, if you're if you're a web developer, you can build for Office is essentially the message you want to get across. And it was nice to see the excitement after the keynote. People came up and talking to us um, about you know what's possible and you know does this work on the Mac version of Office and the browser and the iPad and um, yeah, it's really exciting to kind of get into this audience and you know let them know that there are 400 billion users in Outlook.com and you know 1.2 million uh, 1.2 billion users. of you say of, uh, 400, 400 billion? million? I was going to Wow. 1.2 billion of office client, though. Yes, yes. But um, 400 million of Outlook.com. That's still a pretty good user base. It's awesome That's user active base. users. Yeah, I mean, that's like a 16th of the world. Yeah. We actually had um, a betting um, website, gambling website company, two developers. And they're all excited about this Outlook add in they want to build, where they're going to have like real-time gambling stats within Outlook without them having to launch the website so that, you know, like... If you send an email, it's added out of date straight away. They can have the add-in show the most recent odds for whatever that person subscribed to in the email, which I thought was pretty cool. Nice. So uh,
0: people are getting inventive. So is that going to be one of the, the hacks we see this afternoon? Oh, I hope we... so.
1: I encourage them to come this evening. That's cool. Yeah, I'm, we'll see. I'm curious to see
0: what the mixture is of of uh, developer machines, if it's going to be. Oh, it will be at max for sure. Oh, I'm sure. But I'm curious if there will be anyone that uses a PC.
1: That... Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I've seen Macs over Macs over Macs today. I think at the ng comp they had, there was one guy on a PC. And ironically, he had the most problem with getting an office ad-in running over the Mac oh, wow. guys. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, but his machine was like a corporate machine. It was a lockdown. He couldn't install anything on it. So, Whereas Mac users seem to have the keys to the kingdom in a corporate environment. So yeah, so that was this morning, which was great. So if you missed that, if you go to angularconnect.com, you can actually go and download uh, on-demand that uh, keynote with uh, Julie Kremer and Brad Green and um, Igor Minyar, who are the, or the, uh, Brad and Igor are the, they were kind of the founders of the Angular framework internally at Google, and Julie uh, has just recently joined the Angular team, almost in a similar role to what I am in the office space. But what's really cool is Julie used to work for Microsoft. She actually uh, was in the team that I'm in, probably like eight, nine years ago. So. Um, it's nice to have a friendly on the other side, basically. Small, small world. It's totally a small world. And she did a great job in the keynote as well. So it was, it was cool. So talking of community and back to our community. That's right. Yeah. What, what's been going on in the blogosphere this week? Well, um, interesting. There was a, a guy
0: from my my own organization, the DX organization, that... Did a nice write-up about doing Office add-ins with Knockout.js. So, you know, obviously we've done a lot of different postings between myself and Waldeck and Andrew Connell and yourself around leveraging Angular with with Office add-ins. So, this is kind of neat. It kind of takes a, a different type of framework and shows you some of the kind of getting started experience and different pitfalls for using using that framework so you know really good you know new sample uh, around that and kind of talks about the different components of of leveraging things like the office ui fabric and different things within a knockout app so i thought that was cool
1: yeah i I must admit i played with knockout in anger when the uh, office Add-in model first came out but then, as soon as I started seeing what Angular was capable of, I kind of switched over because I saw the kind of the reach that Angular had over Knockout being a little bit more binding orientated than um, anything else. But it's a really good post. He's got a lot of good screenshots in there. So, if that is your framework of choice, I'd highly recommend checking out Pete's posts.
0: Yeah, I'd be curious um, from a community standpoint. You know, if, not everyone is the type that's going to go build a sample and blog about it. And, yeah. You know, we definitely have we definitely have community members that are eager to help and eager to put together samples like that. I'd be curious what other, you know, frameworks people are interested in seeing, whether that's, you know, Aurelia or like React or who knows. Uh, yeah. We're always interested in hearing what the community wants to see. So let us know if if there's something that we don't have something on and and you'd like to see it.
1: Cool. And what other ones have we got? You're flicking through your browser right now. Yeah, you want
0: to talk a little bit about our, our API changes, a few little minor changes
1: to yeah. the Outlook REST APIs. So the Exchange team have been trucking along. So that we, I mean, the cadence is we've got these major releases, but we also have these preview releases as well. And so now we have this ability that you can get at the reminders for events as well. So you can set the remind me start or from start time um, and then also like actually go and snooze things as well and dismiss things. And that's all just done by the REST API. And I know that that's come up a lot actually with partners that wanting to do this stuff when they're creating events through like a their own web application or mobile app. So that was pretty cool. Again, that was a user voice thing that, that came up through. Um, the time zone stuff's really neat as well. So now you've got the ability to kind of, basically pass the time zone in um, and actually say what the preference is when you're when you're actually calling the APIs and so that when you get the start date time back you can actually you should say what output you want it in rather than converting it at the other end
0: yeah so to me when i when i look at this you know providing a whole new set of rest APIs it, you know the exchange web services are so mature. They've been around forever. And and usually, if you can't find what you want from a REST standpoint, you can usually default over to EWS and find some sort of endpoint to do to work with there. They're not they're all more SOAP based. And so they're not as friendly to work with as REST is. And so this is, I think, a good example of where we saw user voice, we saw probably through things like Exchange Web Service telemetry that there was a lot of people that were leveraging these types of endpoints, and there's others that I know that they're working really hard to do things like working with you know delegation and different things like that that you know hopefully will show up uh, similarly. So being able to slipstream these in, you know, without waiting for like one of these big releases we do twice a year.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then interestingly they've changed uh, user photo and group mm-hmm. photo and contact photo to just photo now. Um, across all those endpoints. I'm guessing that's just to clean up the REST API a bit and make it a little bit consistent across the different objects. I'm guessing because we're in a, a preview state with the uh, graph.microsoft.com, that that will just end up being on the general available release of that when that comes about. But because we've already generally made available the um, Outlook APIs as a V1, that this change would have to be a, a V2 change for that, the Outlook. API, which is from what Venkat was saying to me last week, that's the case. Yeah. So that's how they're doing those kind of changes. Like they've heard the feedback. They're not going to do a breaking change and rename it so that it screws everyone that's calling user photo on V1, but from a V2 onwards, you'll you'll be at, the change will be the photo there. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how we we keep up with these changes and and how we document capture that in the documentation between the different versions as well
0: i've been using user photo in like almost every app I build yeah. lately like it's just to me if i 'm building an app, why not have someone 's picture there you right. know? And, and it
1: makes it look a little bit more legit
0: right absolutely and and one of the cool things around that is that they they actually you know when we when we first introduced user photo back at build, the only thing we actually introduced was doing user photo for the current signed in user, so we didn't provide you the ability to look at other Users Um, And since that time, we've also – that's something that's that's lit up as well. So now you can easily go through and just pull in a recent user. I I was pulling up – I was going to show you a sample here. I know our listeners can't see it, but, you know, just an example of how, you know, things just light up as soon as you bring that that photo in. So, you know, being able to just have, like, cool, um, you know – here's the information about me. It lets the user at least know that they're in the right place and that it's actually connected to something like Office 365.
1: Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty neat being able to grab that stuff. And it does become like the authoritative place to get the photo in your organization as well from and um, the way that we've seen enterprise users using, using this already. yep. Um, yeah, I guess it's a little bit like how SharePoint used to have a user profile service, but just on a more organizational-wide perspective and not just a SharePoint side. Yeah, and, and there was, the other thing I'll just point out about the photos, which is pretty neat, is
0: if, if unless you were maybe not kind of dealing with that when it came out, uh, the user photo, we've had so many places where photos live. Active Directory could have like a little 10K photo that was tiny, tiny. You had SharePoint, which could have user profile photos where... Generally, you'd upload a picture and it would create three renditions of it. What Outlook supports is really a full high-res picture. You can kind of throw any size picture you want at it. It'll also provide renditions as well, but it's a little bit more dynamic in how it deals with it. And so, you know, it's great to be able to leverage that in in your applications.
1: Yeah, so that's definitely a good thing to think about. I think for the SharePoint developers that are listening to this or even the Office add-in developers like Leverage the whole platform. Don't feel like you're scope to just what SharePoint APIs there are and, and think about things like the fact that photos are stored on the Graph endpoint at that kind of cloud level across the Office 365 platform. It's certainly something to take into account. And then there was another one which is interesting again. And, and right now, graph.microsoft.com is actually in preview still. And so we're moving away from MeWAC files to uh, MeWAC Drive in terms of the branding aspect of us and it being called OneDrive and OneDrive for business. So that, that's going to make things a little bit easier to, to understand. But it is going to be a change for anyone that is using that Preview API when we go to v1 of graph.microsoft.com. So please, please bear that in mind. And we did blog about that on dev.office.com slash blogs. Last week, actually.
0: And this is also looking to supporting that idea of us trying to converge the commercial and consumer services. So we've already had discussion on the show around what Outlook's doing in this space. So Outlook and Exchange Online are already doing a lot of this kind of convergence of those services where it's one endpoint. And depending on how I sign in. Now we're, we're seeing some of that trickle out in the, the OneDrive team as well. Actually, they actually demonstrated some of this back at Build, but we're now looking at yeah. incorporating that in the unified API.
1: And OneNote have done it as well, or yep. in the process, which is pretty cool too. So like, you, you learn one API, but can do it in the consumer world or a commercial world, which is, which is pretty neat. Yep. And then on top of that, the Outlook team have been really busy. Uh, Jason Johnson, who is uh, one of the technical writers over in the Exchange or Outlook org, he put together um, a pretty sophisticated add in command demo sample that um, you can run actually independently of Visual Studio. Through using the gulp task to run a node server and then just upload a manifest, and what it does is it shows you all the different ways that you can get extension points into a user uh, user interface through buttons in a ribbon, groups of buttons in a ribbon, and showing kind of like silently running a uh, script JavaScript in the background and then just kind of updating a status. I'm getting a round of applause, Rich. We haven't even finished the podcast yet. I know. Yeah and and so you get the status updates in the mail messages and different things and what and also you can like launch task pane so a lot of the stuff like that what you did for feels like a long long time ago now but for build with the do.com demo uh-huh. where you launched do.com from a button in the ribbon and then had skype embedded in the task pane in outlook um, this is just a good reference here And all that definition of adding commands is just in the XML in the manifest file. And they can be quite hefty. So um, Jason is actually talking to us about integrating it into the Yeoman generator. But what we're actually going to do is provide some Visual Studio code snippets so that it's very easy to go and build those adding commands directly into the manifest XMLs of Office add-ins when you're using Visual Studio or uh, 2015 or Visual Studio Code. I know, for instance, Visual Studio will actually have a wizard that allow you to generate those things for you, but um, it, it is a little bit overwhelming when you first look at the XML that's required to light up a button. But it's because of all the renditions and different platforms that you can actually support adding commands as well. Yep. So that one's a pretty cool sample if you're interested in kind of those buttons in Outlook. Right now, Outlook 2016, but in the future, obviously, we'll support adding commands across all the platforms and all the different Clients as well.
0: Yeah, I think definitely look at some of the things. I, I think the powerful things are like being able to do these silent things behind the scenes. So you can write a block of script and you can have your button just call in that script and do something, right? Yeah. And, and um, uh, to me, the really the opportunities are are limitless there on, on what you can do. And it's all contextual. I haven't really messed with the drop down ones yet. I think that's yeah. kind of a, a different yeah, of visual,
1: that, but yeah it was interesting like the way they did it was it was kind of like insert text and then when you click the drop down there was a bunch of options that you could like pick from yep the way I was seeing it was if I you know I'm a power user and I wanted to build a quick add-in because you can do it in XML I I could um, have one that was like Special filing type functions, right? You know, file it to, you know, create a folder in the, you know, a special folder within my exchange where it just filed all of that person's, if it was an individual email, filed it there or something. So you could have like automatic filing rules mm-hmm. at a click of a button, which would be pretty neat. So you should definitely go and check that one out. And then, do you want to talk a little bit about this one? This one's pretty cool, too. Yeah, so we've
0: we've talked about our ramp-up experience for developers for a long time. And, you know, as we go to different events and we introduce new developers to building on top of Office 365, consistently, the biggest feedback we get is that the getting started experience was frustrating. You know, you had to go get a tenant, then you had to, if you really wanted to do advanced things, you had to associate Azure with that tenant somehow. I mean, you, you automatically got Azure Active Directory, but you couldn't necessarily go in and manage that in the Azure Management Portal easily. So you had to go either attach it to a subscription or create a new subscription, which create, caused you to have to get a um, put out a credit card and, and put that information in the Azure Management Portal. So we, we've kind of gone through a few iterations of trying to improve the app registration experience so that you don't necessarily have to go into Azure. Visual Studio does this already. Visual Studio has the connected services wizard. You know, it doesn't have all the different permissions you might want to use in an an app, but it at least gets you pretty far along without having to go into the Azure management portal. But if you're building on something else, so like we're at the Angular Connect conference, my guess is, is none of these Guys are going to be using Visual Studio. They're going to be using things like Visual Studio Code and Atom and Sublime and, right. and WebStorm and all stuff. Yeah, and, and so to expect them to have to go set up an Azure subscription. To, to go and build an, an add-in is, is, I think, too much. And so what we did a few months ago, we introduced our kind of first iteration of an app registration portal within dev.office.com. So you can just go to dev.office.com, same place where you're finding all the information on how to get started. You can actually get started directly in there and, and register, register an app. And so we went through kind of one iteration of that, and, and we released an update or, or deployed an update to that last week that simplifies it even more. So the, the first version of it was, I call it the paradoxal design. You know what I'm talking about, where you have these web pages that scrolls on forever? Yeah. And yeah. we try to put all the information in one, right. one really, really
1: um, long page. And make it a mystery to find everything that's in That's right. That's yeah. right.
0: So we've, what we've done is simplified it. It's not so much of the paradoxal design. And we've incorporated other permissions, so now we have things like files you can go and, and add permissions to, and I know I was talking with that team last week, they are as we release new APIs to be generally available they're going to be slipstreaming those in at a at a pretty consistent rate, so that cool. they'll, they'll be there
1: So that's dev.office.com slash app
0: Dash registrations. Yep, and just you sign in with your Office 365 account, and ultimately that will you know let you get a client ID in secret and set
1: your permissions, and you're off to the races. Cool. And then um, Vaser has been busy again. The weekly uh, webcast that he's doing now. He just did one last week, which was the OneDrive for business branding kind Mm -hmm. of walkthrough and your options there. And this week he's done one on the remote timer job framework that you can use with SharePoint add-ins. So that's a really cool session he's put together there and links to a bunch of samples and a bunch of documentation as well. So if you're interested in kind of that long running job process, that's certainly something you should catch up on as well. And they've
0: expanded that quite a bit over the the last, I mean, mean, the the pattern of, of kind of, using a, an external process uh, to, to run you know, things like CSOM or calling in the REST APIs. It's been around for a while, but they've, they've continued to evolve it and make it stronger. So they're even doing things like leveraging different queuing mechanisms now to you know, kind of set things aside and let something else pick it up. And, and so I think definitely check it out they've, if, if you are already doing some of that, but maybe you haven't looked at some of the updates that PNP has been contributing uh, there are some really great
1: new patterns that they're doing around those remote jobs cool and then um, Stefan Cordania who is a recent MVP actually so congrats for that Stefan he's done a really cool post so I was aware of this because it's interesting from uh, how these guys are building this in from an engineering perspective but now if you go to delve and you go to my about me you can actually go and create new posts and this is kind of like blog posts next. this is where you'll be blogging within your organization. And the pages that are render on are all kind of like responsive. They work on a mobile. They work really beautifully in a, um, a web interface. The editing experience is really nice. It kind of, it, it looks a lot like uh, how Sway does things about curating content. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that kept coming up was, well, how do I get the blog content through REST? And essentially the answer is from his post is that is, he goes away and uses the SharePoint search API is to go and find those particular list items within inside SharePoint. Because in a day, the About Me, when it stores these new blogs, is storing that in a custom list within your My Site, for lack of a an old old term, kind mm-hmm. of gone 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 new. And so you can use search to get back those individual or the collection of blogs that are available, um, targeting those ID that ID type. And then what he does is he then just uses a standard, you know, like get me that list item through the REST APIs that we know and love inside of uh, SharePoint. So that's that's a good kind of way around that. But I, I guess my feedback to the engineering team was that, well, a lot of people aren't going to realize that's SharePoint anymore because it's Delve. Like, why would you associate Delve with a SharePoint custom list for that storage and not just expect me whack blogs? So stephane has gone and actually added that on user voice because it's right now not on engineering's backlog. So if this is something of interest to you, this is just another example of how you can um, kind of influence engineering's backlog and if you, you feel like this is something that you're going to do a lot of with the APIs and want it to be a little bit cleaner, sure you can get at it right now but it's not that intuitive but um, it's just interesting to see people's feedback on that from a user voice perspective if you are looking to call, pull those blogs into your own user interface, whether it be in a mobile app or maybe potentially inside a, a website of your own that you've got as an intranet so, I guess I'll talk a little bit about Say My Name. Yeah, and I, I like the way you just said Say My Name. Like, say, say, say My because Name? Because I'm pretty sure there's say. a film where there's an other word after Say My Name. Okay. But you cut it out. I, I, we're clean here on our show. Yeah, we yeah. clean things. We, we could have our producer bleep it out, but I think everyone gets it anyway. Yes,
0: So uh, when I was at the TechCrunch Disrupt Conference, obviously Microsoft had a big presence there. But another organization that had a pretty big presence was IBM and IBM Watson. If you're not familiar with Watson, it has a bunch of machine learning and different algorithms and things you can leverage it for. And interesting, Microsoft has a similar set of APIs that, um, and and really a, a super powerful machine learning framework that's a part of Azure, uh, but we have this thing that uh, we call Project Oxford, the Oxford APIs. So you can actually go to projectoxford.ai and test out all these different APIs. And there's some really cool ones out there that have been used on some viral sites that Microsoft built. So it, I think almost everyone, I bet every one of our listeners probably played around with howl.net. And it was a site where you could upload a picture and it would use machine learning and algorithms to estimate your age. It was really accurate, surprisingly accurate. Unless you were making some weird face, I was surprised at how
1: how well it would do. That was someone from your team, Matt Veloso, wasn't it, in your team? Well, it was
0: was actually a a number of people um, on the ML team and some from DX. But um, uh, kind of the second iteration of that was Matt Veloso, who's on my team, uh, who's in, in DX, He was sitting in Prague at a a hotel, and they didn't have a room for him yet. He had to wait for his room, and so he just decided to, well, I'm going to build a a similar type of app, and he built... Uh, twinsornot.net. Oh, that's right. And twinsornot, Twins you could go take two pictures and it would tell you the probability of you guys being related. And it was kind of, it, both of them were very interesting viral sites and they're all using that Oxford API. So there's there's things like image re- detection, you can determine like facial recognition type of things. It can come up with gender, age, all kinds of stuff related to that. But there's also some other interesting APIs. And so they have some APIs around speech and voice recognition to where you can send in audio and it'll send back text or you can send in text and it'll send back audio. And one of the things I thought is as we go through our community contributions every week, <laughs> we're like horrible when it comes to pronouncing names. I think we're the two worst people in the world. when I, it comes. I, to... I think we'd be up there for sure. So what I thought would be interesting is why not build a cool mail add-in that leverages the, the, that voice recognition API and just say anyone that's on this email, whether they're on the, the, the from or the CC line, or if it's a meeting and it has required or optional attendees, let's take all of those names and make them to where I can go get a pronunciation of them. So the interesting thing is I, I just threw this together in a matter of a, a couple of hours. Uh, it's all built with Angular and hosted out in Azure, and so we open source that. You can go take a look at it. It's uh, it's out on GitHub. We'll have a link in the the show notes about it. But it's it's really, we call it the say my name mail add in. And it, it really just does that. It, it allows you to uh, go and just expand the, the read add in. It'll so, show you all the different names that are on the email. And then you can get pronunciations. And you know, it's funny. It does a pretty good job. I've tried uh, some pretty crazy names, like things like Wynn, like N-G-U-Y, like, oh, like, yeah. thing, like names that, you know, if you just look at it and tried to pronounce it phonetically,
1: yeah. you'd, be you'd be like miserable at it. Yeah, you'd be miserable at <laughs> yeah. it. And it actually does a, a The only one it job. doesn't get right that I've noticed is Jim Epps in our team. Oh, really? It does Jim Eppies. Eppies? Eppies. Nice. That's the only one I've seen it go, go wrong on. But, um, yeah, it's pretty incredible. And so you've done everything client-side. Yep. You're doing calls off to REST services to pull that stuff into the add-in. That's right. It's using the Angular framework. How did you get the player into the add-in? What was the tech that you used uh, for, So the I, for I just
0: used an, uh, an audio tag. So any modern browser that supports HTML5, there's a you know a, an audio element. And yeah. then what I do is there's one audio element that's hidden on the page at, by default. And then the first time you want to pronounce a name, we go out and get the audio. And then you can just set dynamically set the source and say play. So you can actually just, you can basically, you set the source, you say load. So it starts to buffer the audio. Yeah. And then you can say play and you can just automatically play it. And then I show it at that point. So I have it hidden on the page. And as soon as you say, you know, play Jeremy Thake. Uh, It'll go get that audio. And as soon as the audio comes back, it'll pop up and have the player there at the top and allow you to play. So it's like three lines to dynamically set the audio. Um, Actually, if you looked at the entire code, which is out here, the most code is in getting a list of recipients of the different participants because you actually have to check. It's different if it's uh, an appointment versus mail. If it's mail, you need to look at the to, from, and CC lines. Right. If it's an appointment, you need to look at required attendees or optional attendees. So it's completely different fields. Oh, and right. then on top of that, I don't want to show a name twice. And sometimes, you know, you'll see someone's name in multiple places. Yeah, right. Um, and so I did, I have a whole logic where I go through and iterate through everything and do quick checks to say, hey, are they already in my array? Are they already in my array? So that I don't have duplicates in there. Sure. Um, and actually, that was the most code, the code to... Call the Oxford APIs and, and do um, a simple audio thing was quite simple.
1: I've got a pull request for your sample already though. Oh, really? Yeah. What's that? So in the demo, when when you render it, you render the names of the people and you remember, render all the email addresses. huh. So when I do my demos in my environment, basically I'm giving people ammo to grab the email address and then start flaming me when I'm on stage. Oh, but that's awesome fun. <laughs> that's awesome fun. Um, someone did it at, so I think it's T- Tony Francola did it in Munich. To me in the keynote, but I was smart. I'd scrolled down on the inbox of my mail to the bottom. So that even though I was getting new mail, they weren't showing up and I didn't have any notifications on. But um, it was fairly sneaky. Who was our, there was one of our MVPs for the big surface event. Was it, it was, it was Victor, wasn't it? That he,
0: he, I guess, saw some demo oh, where they, did. Had, yeah. they had, they uh, had like, it was maybe Satya was up on stage and they brought up Outlook for a second. And, yeah. and that was like his claim to fame is he had his
1: his email in the inbox. Yeah, so. yeah it's, it seems to be the best way of, of hunking people on stage now is doing that. I mean, I got CJ pretty good at Ignite. But yeah, the, the it, unfortunately, the email address shows up in quite a few Outlook out-of-the-box screens. Yeah, So it'd be nice not to have that in demo code as well. Yep. Because people get a little bit... It's funny. Funny. Like like four or five years ago, we
0: when we did one of these conferences, we'd have this like palette of servers behind the stage <laughs> yeah, right. that you'd be using this closed environment where you wouldn't <laughs> have to worry about that. Now that we're all in the cloud, you know, we kind of expose ourselves and, to. And,
1: and we don't want to be using new tenants for every single event, so people get to know like that I'm using certain tenants and that's right. I'm you know, why well, efficiency? I don't want to keep recreating them every time I go to an event especially when I'm doing five in two weeks. The Delve one would scare me the most because you just never know. No, 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 that's just, even for an executive briefing, like I I can't show my own one. Yeah. Because it's just, it can be pretty scary what you can see. It's a great way of stalking people though. That's right. And so the the other one, other than that sample, was um, the, actually it was Kirk Evans that raised this, right? So there's this GitHub user, THM1118. It's a pretty interesting GitHub user account. It's pretty cryptic. Yeah, that is really cryptic. Clearly he doesn't want anyone to know who he is. I think he's
0: friends with, like, Edward
1: Snowden or something. I mean, (laughs) he's, like, using proxies around the world to (laughs) To, make his his code code submissions. So he's built a provider-hosted add-in for SharePoint on-prem, which is high trust. But what's mind-blowing is it actually uses Java. And I don't mean JavaScript. It's actually using Java, Java. H- how do you delineate? Java? Is that enough? Is that is that Just it? Java. Just sure. Java? Java. Not JavaScript. And so that's using that in the background. And it's based on the work that Kirk did actually. So I'm guessing the way he found out was that his blog post got a ping to this repo because it links to his blog post. So if you are a Java developer uh, and you want to build for SharePoint, then you know this is the the sample that you can use to actually show how you can get a a high trust app working.
0: Those high trust apps, you know, they work. They use certificates to do kind of a, a, a in a sense, like a single Lego off, um, and that's not trivial when you when you try to set up like a like a token helper type of right. class. So that was I remember early early on in our add-in model, we talked about you know building a, a token helper for some of these other platforms like PHP and and you know building it for Java and dealing with certificates in that way is not trivial but yeah. it's funny is it, it actually simplifies the flow quite a bit once you actually get all that add up and working so it's nice that he he was able to get a good sample out here to see how
1: all that's done yeah so we'll certainly get that in the show notes there too now angular connect were you did you see the keynote i, I didn't i was traveling here you're commuting yeah well, you were far away Like you're getting used to the whole Docklands Light Railway. Well, so the last two weeks, we've been all over Europe, and it
0: seems like every event is in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) And if you stay in the middle of nowhere... You never go out. I mean, it's kind of a little bit depressing. And so I I decided to stay in the
1: heart of the town and... And then commute the other way. And
0: it wasn't bad, so... Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, for me, I guess the the main takeaways, other than obviously our um, parents in, in the keynote is this transition that Google are doing right now between Angular 1 and Angular 2. Mm -hmm. I really like the way they're doing it. They're basically saying that they're just going to constantly measure the usage of both. They're using Angular.org and Angular.io, 1 and 2 respectively, to see what interest there is and how much pull they're getting. And right now, Angular 2 is a kind of 7% of the traction over Angular, Angular 1 in terms of that hits. And so... They've been making a crazy amount of commits to Angular 1, uh, bug fixes, new features, and, and they've said that you know they'll continue to work on both. But what's really, really clever in the way they're doing things is, is there's this, uh, this way that you can almost be writing Angular 2 code in the Angular 1 framework so that when the transition comes, you don't have to go and refactor a lot of your code for it to run as Angular 2. Yeah. And there's this progressive way that they're going to do it through the ng-upgrades a directive to, to actually kind of manipulate and facilitate it. And so that, that's just one thing to bear in mind is that I know like there's a lot of people going, oh, well, you know, Angular's unstable and we don't know what the future of it is. Like, Angular are betting big or Google are betting big on Angular as a framework. And um, in, in a sense that they're not giving up on the V1 developers out there, but they do want to progress through with V2, but they want to give a good stepping stone across from one to two and Um, So there was a great talk after the keynote in actual fact by one of the head engineers that kind of talked through like the actual code that was really, really clean that you could start writing in one now to make it a lot easier to transition to 2. I see. So there were certain things that you shouldn't be using in 1 now that we all used when we were writing Angular 1, that there's an alternative now that will basically mean that you're going to jump straight to 2. And for a lot of it, they're encouraging the use of TypeScript because with TypeScript, it'll just output different renderings um, to make that mapping a bit better. Just during the
0: compiling, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of good lessons there um, from from our aspects of where we've been messaging, you know, moving from... SharePoint farm solutions to SharePoint add-ins and how we've done that transformation. And the community seems to be kind of on board. They seem to be supportive of the way that Google are doing this and not forcing people to, you know, move straight to two and that. one is still, uh, you know, a viable option, much like we do with farm solutions, like still supported on-prem. Yeah. Um, you know, there's still a good spot for that. But in some cases, adding model is, um, you know, an option as well. What's the,
0: do you, did, have they talked much about the timeline for 2? Uh, no, yeah. I mean, that's the big thing for me right now. Yeah. I know the highlights in terms of like better, you know, bi-directional binding and things like that. But, you know, to me, if I'm building something that I want to deploy, if it's something that's Really like, in flux, right? You know, do I really want to?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like using our preview APIs in Office 365, sure. right? Like, yeah. there is a risk of doing that that they're going to change, like, use a photo to the photo. So, he wouldn't, Brad Green, who's kind of one of the founders of it, basically wouldn't give a date at this point. Like, they're getting closer to being able to give a date, but they're just not quite ready with it. Yeah, that got interesting reactions, actually. But uh, what was cool though was people like uh, Telerik with their Kendo controls um, and Ionic um which i know you like their framework for mobile mm-hmm. dev they all have got now um alphas out on angular 2 um which was you know shows the commitment that, that some of these other partners have on it as well yep and um, so it's certainly something that we could um you know you need to be looking into but i think you know th- this whole conference is really about v2 and getting feedback from the community on on you know previewing this stuff and having a look at it but but uh, my biggest takeaway from this and was from ngconf was If you're using Angular right now, there are things you can do to make your life a whole lot easier when you flip over to two. Eventually, it will happen. It's inevitable. Um, And so you should really check out these sessions to get an understanding of that too. So um, my take wouldn't be just don't write the framework off because it's in this state of flux between one and two. It's certainly something that Google have got a huge amount of um, kind of tie into and And Brad, I think, did a good job of just making sure that everyone was aware that there is a hell of a lot of investment in Google on making sure this framework succeeds. And the Perth stats that they showed were pretty incredible versus Angular 1 versus React. And there was one other, which I couldn't, can't remember which one it was They picked up on now. But, yeah, like was ridiculous. It was almost like a flat line at the bottom for Angular 2. Mm-hmm. And these other ones spiked up pretty quickly as they oh, wow. threw more stuff to it. So certainly worth checking out that keynote if you haven't looked at it yet. And, um, you know, I see kind of a bright future in Angular. And from your perspective, I see most interest in our crowd in Angular than in any of the other frameworks as well. I mean, what's your take there?
0: It seems that way. I mean, yeah. I think it, it helps when you have some of the leaders in, in the community kind of jumped on that early on. You yeah. were an early adopter of Angular even yeah. before you were at Microsoft. You yeah. were doing sessions around it. Obviously, Andrew Connell was a, an early adopter there. And I think that I think that helps when you see someone that is, you know, well respected as a developer in the community that's kind of bought into this and saying, "Hey, this is a
1: really sharp direction to go." think people follow in in some to some extent yeah and it's been exciting to see it go and as I say I'm looking forward to tonight now with the hackathon so we'll definitely talk about on next week's show right yeah I'm I'm excited I have this eager anticipation that we're going to be
0: just like slammed with people doing stuff so I'm I'm, yeah I love it
1: yeah cool well thanks again for traveling with me across another country and yeah uh, as I say it's going to be an exciting week the show notes will have all the links to everything we've talked about this week uh, we are by no means running out of content but I think I wanted to just put a hold and just go is there anything that we're not talking about that you guys would like to hear um, you can Twitter mention us at jthake at richdiz Uh, We'd love to hear back from you. Make sure we actually have some listeners. We're not just talking into an empty microphone. We kind of know that's not true because we do get kind of high fives at events now. Yeah. I have noticed for the podcast. But um, yeah, I'd love to hear from you guys on what you think of the show and what you think we could be doing differently. I did notice that someone actually replied that they were disappointed there was no punked call on last week's show. And there there won't be one on this one either. But it's something we're working on. We had a lot of brainstorming with some of the other MVPs actually. Turns out they can be evil too uh, in recommending certain people that they would like to see be completely destroyed on the phone. Well, I
0: think there's the there's some people on edge right now and oh totally and so a little bit of a lull will help and yeah. then it also lets us, like a
1: surprise attack. That's right that's right we're like little cougars. Because like Topaginsky was totally thought that his support call from Microsoft every week was a prank call and it wasn't <laughs> which I thought was hilarious. That poor guy from support Todd was just like uh-huh and why do you need to know this and the guy was like no this is a real support call so todd pinged me was like yeah good you got me so um yeah we'll, we'll get people so if you're listening be afraid be very afraid but you That's will right. not know when it's coming <laughs> okay well thanks very much rich um, and everyone listening enjoy your week and uh we'll speak to you guys soon Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant to stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash Office 365 Dev Podcast Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding.